A bear market has as much of a deleterious effect on individuals as it does on platforms. I mean, the platform consequences are obvious. They shudder or they suspend operations, perhaps permanently, uh, and they make creative gambles to survive, gambles which sometimes pay off, but oftentimes do not. At the time I'm recording this one such gamble, SuperRare's decision in November of 2022 to launch RarePass, a subscription pass for low-count art drops styled after Proof Grails, is currently the talk of the crypto art town after Matt Cain used his monthly drop, titled Contractual Obligations, to launch a kind of assault on platforms in general. I won't wade too much into that controversy here in this cold open, but suffice to say it has completely dominated the conversation for multiple days now. A rare occurrence indeed in the space where a news cycle is lucky to last an hour. My takeaways from this controversy are twofold. One, platforms have a tough, tough road out of this market. Either you misstep and crumble, or you misstep and become fodder for public criticism. The way forward is narrow and has space for only a few. But into individuals, the bear market seems to have invited a somewhat cutthroat attitude. That's my second takeaway. There is vociferous dialogue whenever a platform of note launches a project, makes a business decision, supports this or that artist, or aligns themselves with this or that industry. We are hungry for blood, and we can sniff it out from miles off like sharks. Okay, a little backtrack. I invited Ezra Shibboleth onto the pod because I knew that Ezra was a hyper-talented poet, and I always want to talk to writers in this space. But Ezra, besides being a wonderful poet, is also the co-founder of Sovereign.Art, a serial one-of-one platform that has consistently found that rarest of combinations, financial success and public approval, with a sporadic series of drops over the past year or so. And so I wanted to talk to Ezra about building such a platform, the difficulties and decisions of it, and how such a platform might represent itself as it hopes to. We, of course, speak about quite a deal more, the somewhat nebulous meaning of the word token, as well as the Matt Cain super rare situation in more detail. We discuss humanity's possible technological reaction to the apocalypse and much more as well. Ezra is a soft-spoken individual and you can sense the poet's instinct in the measured, direct, insightful way he talks. I'm excited for you to hear our conversation. And so, without further ado, let's get to it. Ezra Shibboleth is our guest on the Mocha Live podcast. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Mocha Live podcast. It is 2.31 p.m. EST as we record this. My name is Maxwell Cohen. I'll be your host this afternoon. Joining me on the Mocha Live podcast this afternoon is an incredible guest. We have the artist, poet, co-founder of Sovereign.Art, Ezra Shibboleth with us today. Ezra, well, first of all, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. How are you doing today? Hi, thank you for thank you for having me. I'm I'm really admire very much what you guys do with Mocha and I'm I'm glad to to join you. We are glad that you're joining us. Um we have a lot to talk about today. I sent you some kind of conversation topics a couple of days ago and you hit me back with a couple more. So I thought we could start uh kind of in some territory that you wanted to begin with. You had asked me if we could talk about the various possible meanings of a token. And that sent my mind kind of thinking about the various possible meanings of a token. And so correct me if I'm thinking about this in a completely different direction than maybe you'd intended. But I was thinking about some of the ways that tokenized arcane, arcana have entered my life, right? Art, currency, uh, po-ops being like a marker of time and a place. I've 
have NFTs that are raffle tickets or tokens that are raffle tickets, tokens that are provide membership in this or that club. So there's a lot of various ways, I think, that when we all kind of get down to the nitty gritty of it, demonstrate the variety of things that a token can represent within our lives. So I'm curious, at least up front, like what are the, the possible meanings of a token that excite you most? I mean, what was it that kind of first grabbed you about this topic that made you want to discuss it? Well, there, well, the two main things that I are on my mind about that at the moment, first of all, with, with Sovereign, with the, with the art platform that we do to get, that's with um, Pindar, Van Armin and Justin Island. With that, we do serial collections. And I always think when we are working with the artists to design a serial collection and to, to curate about how it uh, can serve as a vessel for that person's presence in the culture, in the, in the scene, uh, a serial, uh, a, a set of tokens in that, in that way, like uh, of a somewhat substantial size, even just a couple hundred has um, the, the capacity to, to operate in that way in, ter- in terms of what, what it is that a collector is 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 uh, collecting, and and it came up too with um, Matt Cain just now, uh, without you know, which is like talk of the town today. But like, yeah, we're gonna get into that right away, huh? Yeah, I, well, well, because he had one of the big points that that came up around that was when he had had written, "What does it mean to own a Matt Cain?" you know that's something that in the in in the art world is a common way of talking about uh, collecting art like a person at a auction house will collect like a warhol or you know they'll collect like a basket it doesn't it doesn't not that it doesn't matter what the piece looks like but that that's what they're collecting and you know that's the the cultural significance like of or the valence of what that that action is about for them and i mean in a way i think and also i matt maybe i think was pointing out the superficiality of that but it's also something i think fundamental about the way that our minds work and the way that we communicate just even on the level of the way that we use that words are in a sense like tokens for the object that they represent and you know our our uh, personalities are our tokens for what our true being is it, it's you know in that in that way it it's uh fundamental to how we operate and it can be done in a really superficial way but i think it's also something that can be wielded to to recognize what it means when you're making a set of tokens which is like I, uh, to, to me, it strikes me always as like, you're making, you're making a miniature currency. You're making a very, very small currency that it is one way of looking at it. Like you're making a very, very small currency that, that um, trades the value of, of uh, an idea or of a, a person of, of a cultural presence, you know, like instead of like trading the value of the U S government or something, you can make it very, very specific. I'm so fascinated by serial one of ones too because like you said like it represents it's almost like a microcosm of the entire artist's like ethos you know at that point you get so many different narratives you get so many different 
kinds of color studies. You get so many different like variations on a theme in a way that always feels intentional. Um, and I have a list of like all of the, the projects that you guys have, have done. I mean, you've worked with like Norman Harriman and uh, Mikey Woodbridge, Anne Spalter, Pindar Van Arman, Alec, uh, Look Highward. And in so many of these pieces, uh, let's take Look Highward's possibility spaces, uh, for instance. Yeah. There's such a variety of every practical category of composition, of light, of color, of character, of tone, of mood. And yet it's still, there's this kind of overhang, this kind of beating heart that is still, or rather is only visible, I think, through that glut of that artwork in the same way that we would look back on the full glut of, you know, you mentioned Warhol or Basquiat. You kind of have to see the whole career in order to find out where that heart is. And that's all happening in these like microcosmic drops because you're invited to like both have a theme and have a complete variety of um, actual aesthetics involved. Yeah, yeah, you know, and and I I think that there's something super important to understand in presenting a collection and designing a collection. At, at least it's what we try to do, to, because it's like the so possibility spaces, for instance, there are are gorgeous artworks. Uh, in another way. And not, not to say like on the flip side, but like, in a, you know, in another way, like they are each a token of the the style and form that that look highward developed. They're 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 unique pieces, but they're each a token of intricate AI art in, in a way or of and, and every collection is the the um, individual artwork that it is. And and also each each piece in in a in a larger set in a in a mini currency like that is something that that represents the value of whatever that specific uh, vision or specific approach to to art is, and you know it, it's a fascinating thing to me that it's like with with tokenization it it makes it makes it possible that there there is like a financially tradable currency for things that are previously just you know cultural currency something intangible and it also makes it so that there's a way to um to give a reality to things that were or would normally be written out of the the realm of currency the things that are difficult to name difficult to identify you can if you you know in being personally able to like tokenize something you have the the like you in, in that sense you're the the sovereign author of uh the meaning of uh of, of the currency you know and so that that's one of the things that that's super fascinating about tokens how do you feel about the possibility of a token being changeable after it's been purchased or traded or minted. Um, that was part of a, dis- a part of the discussion that I think, you know, the um, no- now notorious uh, super rare space or Twitter spaces with Matt Kane and, um, and Pindar Van Arman yesterday is one of the things that they were talking about was, or that Pindar asked is, is the contract immutable or is the contract mutable rather? And Matt responded very vociferously and immediately like, no, it's not. 
So I'm curious as we have this conversation about like what a token means and its place as a marker of personality, a marker of a cultural moment, a marker of cultural currency. Like, do you believe that these tokens should remain static after they've been minted? Or do you think that like the possibility of them being mutable, not just in aesthetics, but in um, like meaning in access, et cetera. Like, do you feel that that's in the spirit of the technology? I mean, the spirit of the technology, well, immutability is sort of a, a, a very fundamental principle to the spirit of the technology. And that has its value, but it's also just an illusion. I mean, that nothing is immutable, of course, you know, like in the sense that like what the, the meaning of the token, like I think is much more about the, the uh, person behind it, the moment that it, it, it's just, you know, the, the moment that the connection happens between the person who creates it and the person who receives it, then it is about what the, the image is. And I don't, I, I love images and I not, I'm not dissing images, but in that way that an image or any artwork or any, um, any writing, any, any creation is in that way, I think uh, a placeholder for, um, yeah, for, for like the, the, for the meeting point or for, for like a place in consciousness or something, you know, and that doesn't detract from the value of crafting something but it's to me it speaks to the what just basically what we're doing as human beings in an important way why tokens make sense you know like why does it make sense to people at all that we that we do this i i've I've been thinking a lot about how there were the there were these times like i i came into crypto art world like kind of not super early it was like it was um february of 2021 and I remember uh, in around April, May of 21, after there was like a bit of a kick in the beginning of the year. And then I remember thinking in April, May, it really seemed like it could just completely evaporate. <laughs> that that like, it felt like that. It was like, okay, was what was that? Was that even real? And then um, by the end of that year, and into 2022, I feel like it really crossed a very important threshold of from like being maybe real into into something that is real. And it was surprising to me. But looking, you know, at that point, it was like a rough time uh, market wise, but it was very clear that there was a, a huge wealth of meaning and uh, an and actual culture. That of of like a, in a broad way, like not that there wasn't before, but that it had crossed a like a, a critical mass into reality. And I mean, that's like the wildest thing that ever happens ever is like when something crosses into reality. And so, but so that's like, yeah, but why? Why does it make sense? Like, <laughs> and and I think that you know, a big part of that reason is like that's it's it's basically the way that we relate with the world is is through various versions of tokens sure i mean like perhaps this is too far afield but like artistry is a kind of tokenized imagination you know of all sorts obviously before hard and fast actual like blockchain minted tokens i want to bring up the because you said something i was interested in before about 
that you're not being especially interested in the content of the token and like the actual aesthetics. So we're not being as interested as much as in the origin, who created it, when it was created, its intention, et cetera. And it reminded me, and a lot of this conversation has been reminding me of a documentary I watched ages ago, or maybe it was even a 60 minutes segment, like a news segment about um, a forger, like a really talented forger. He was a, a Chinese gentleman and he worked in this very small canvas lined like stall uh, in I'm not sure which city, but he was like the greatest forger on earth. And he could create these paintings that down to the very brushstroke mimicked those of the great masters. And it's very interesting to consider the value of what's actually in the frame, right? If we look at the frame as the token equivalent, it both contains the original art, the original artist, all of those things, and it, and it doesn't at the same time. And in the same way that like, you know, we have an X copy piece in the museum's Genesis collection, but the metadata has been lost. So while we have the intention and we have the uh, origin and we know the story, the actual aesthetics are gone um, and un irretrievable. And it's just such an interesting paradigm to be kind of involved in in real time and see it kind of being challenged. And then Matt Cain, obviously challenging it further, um, not just what, what it means to like own a Matt Cain or, or get a Matt Cain, but what does it mean to like tokenize a Matt Cain and you know, squeeze that identity into, you know, block hashes that point to an image. Yeah. Right. And no, and, and then, and the, and the Cain is bringing in another aspect of that, that, that speaks to the forgery in, in the sense you know, of looking at the future of like, or, looking at what what AI means. Well, it's like reverse forgery, right? It's like, instead of somebody creating something in the vein of the artist, it's like the artist creating something in the vein of an idea of themselves or like an antithesis, antithesis of themselves. Yeah, no, well, what he was doing, what he's doing with it is different from 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 that sense of like, in a, in a way, like looking at the future of like AI will be able to reproduce anything. But yeah, he's he was, I, th I think, maybe more specifically looking at low effort glut of of ai <laughs> yeah i don't know whatever it's talking about sure. a lot of different things but that that does yeah so so like the forger the that the that painting forger of the past is like the ai of the future and with ai too it's like wild to me it's not maybe not that wild but it's wild to me that the language models are 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 just a set of of uh, also of tokens that they that they break meaning into into its smallest units, and that it's just this set of of units of meaning that are each, it's just morphemes, yeah, yeah, that are that are that are tokens in the, in that in that system, and so that's a, maybe our most powerful technology that's out there now is made of tokens. No, just more importantly, like the, it does construct meaning. It, it constructs meaningful statements out of and out of tokens. You know, you're a, a, a quite talented and quite prolific poet, and I studied a fair bit of poetry in, in college, and in, in, interesting to have this conversation where we're talking about bringing kind of culture, artistry, meaning down to these like actual morphemes, phonemes, the like building blocks of meaning. And I, I'm thinking about like modernist literature. That was my specialty when I was um, studying. And I'm thinking of Wallace Stevens, and I'm thinking of E.E. E. Cummings, and I'm thinking of Ezra Pound, who were working with these building blocks. They were working with sound, and they were working with like onomatopoeia, and they were working with meaningless symbols, meaningless um, 
like images. T.S. Eliot did that too, where he's just like throwing together highly volatile adjectives and highly volatile situations. But the meaning is kind of like, it's almost like anti-meaning. And it's very interesting to see, especially when like these AI start to hallucinate. Um, I use ChatGPT a ton for like independent writing projects for research. It's just, it's like an invaluable tool. And somebody asked me how I know it's hallucinating and you kind of don't, but you also kind of always suspect that it is. So it's this Schrodinger's cat situation where things are both completely meaningful in the way that you believe them to be. And also inherently unmeaningful, just in the same way that like the forged artwork is both the original artwork and not the original artwork, depending on secondary factors, you know, belief. I mean, if you have a forged Monet in your room and you're, you know, above your duvet and you believe for 20 years that it's a Monet and then you find out that it does, that it isn't for all intents and purposes, you did have a Monet above your room uh, or in your room rather. I was thinking about that earlier today too, because I was looking at, um, do you know the, do you know the Ankoara, the the conceptual artist? He's Um, like date paintings and my favorite project of his is a, a project with this one for for I think it was like 13 years or something he would send these telegrams to various people and the only the only line of the telegram was I am still alive and it was that was that was that was like I think his only communication or something for maybe I'm getting that wrong but for for those years and I was I, I love those these telegrams and I was like I was looking them up today and and they 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 auction them they you know they're art pieces they auction them at Sotheby's and they sell them and they're like I was thinking like man I maybe I could get one of these and they they auction I don't know they're like five thousand dollars or something that they auctioned for and I was like okay well but then I thought like why is that cooler than if I just write I am still alive on <laughs> on a on a card and put it put it on my wall as like a, a representation of that that idea. One of uh, one of my my prized possessions is a it's a typewritten letter by Ernest Hemingway wishing a friend of his a happy birthday and signed on the bottom, and, oh, wow. which is great until you kind of start thinking about it. Then you're like, well, I don't really know the spirit that this letter was written in. I don't really know the history. It's just memorabilia. And while memory that's great and all, but I think that's an interesting question. Why, if I write the same letter? sign it the same way there's obvious answers there but i that was there was somebody who was just talking about that too with like what what the, what is the difference between well it's like i mean this is i think getting into a larger conversation about digital art in general right the reason people think i talk about this all the time but if you went to google right now and looked up is digital art the first thing that would come up is is digital art real art and i think the thing that it's still very difficult for people to wrap their minds around is that there's not an actual interaction of like my body with the thing that you're looking at. So a painting is really easy to understand the artistry in it because I have the paintbrush in my hand and I'm interacting. There's a, a You're looking at the liminal space or crossing the liminal space in which this person has left their mark on this object. So you look at the, you know, this, per, what was the artist's name with the telegrams? I'm sorry. Uh, Ankawara. Ankawara. So you look at Ankawara's telegrams or this Ernest Hemingway letter, and it's like this person interacted with this thing. So the history yeah. of that actual thing is important. But again, the the meaning of the thing is so, I don't know, based in your knowledge of of what it is. It's so based in like your own experience or 
Yeah, no, it, it it's your own. Well, I mean, there's that whole like issue of oh, well, I don't I, whole issue, but like I think it was it was somebody was quoting ben, Walter Benjamin, who who was thinking about these things, and what what he came to was that the the distinction of an art object is that it has an aura, which is like yeah, like a mystical way of of saying it, maybe, but. But also, I guess, just a pragmatic way of describing what that interaction is when when you have a, a physical uh, experience of the connection to the to the creator of a thing. And, you know, I, I, I don't know that there's a, another way to describe it. But so so the so, yeah, the token abstracts that out, abstracts out the idea of of the object from the object. And and it, it makes it into like a, a unit that that represents that and can be traded as that, and you know, it sort of also points to maybe a direction that humanity is headed in general. Like just over the last centuries or whatever, we've abstracted ourselves increasingly, increasingly, to the point you know we're now making maybe an abstracted mind. I don't know. And 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 obviously also like becoming more would just basically more digital, just more of experience becoming digital. And it doesn't seem like outside of some really unexpected cataclysm that that progression would would stop. I wish it would. <laughs> well, I'm not sure that even an unexpected cataclysm would stop it because I think that we would be so hungry to get back online that we would be reforming. Yeah, we'd be reforming the old technologies or new technologies in the image of the old. Yeah, probably. We, we yeah. wouldn't go in a, in a different direction, right? We wouldn't be moving off to explore like different technologies altogether. We would just be trying to reclaim that which we knew and had lost. Yeah, maybe. If you had to put a gun to my head and ask me to <laughs> predict the future. Yeah, probably. I mean, we have a nature, but it's it's a, it it does align with with like why tokens make so much sense and why why crypto makes sense because like there hasn't been before that really uh adaptation of the way that humanity defines the the value of a thing outside of like physical scarcity there hasn't been an adaptation that other than crypto really that meets that that uh shift into like just the whole fucking internet and that's something I think about too, of like when people of in, in questioning the 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 reality of what we're doing, which is up for question again. You know, I don't know. Like with with that, right before Matt Cain, it was it was the Rolling Stone. <laughs> the uh -huh. yeah. it was the Rolling Stone. And so so you know, and it, and it, the 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 death of NFTs was declared again. But like, and I talked. Most people I talk to are most people I know are not in crypto, and and. You know, a lot of them, they don't like it. They, they, but, but they, we talk about it because I'm doing it, you know, and they listen. But to me, that's also what I return to is that it's not a matter of like the, where the, the wave has gone with like the valuation of an ape or whatever. It's, it's a much broader uh, shift that, that is really the, the, the first major adaptation to, the shift away from physical scarcity to digital uh, life and, and the, the way that our experiences are, are. I think scarcity is the word that's often thrown around, but I, I think 
just in allowing us to make digital memorabilia, there's a, such an importance there. The new I, I, iPhone came out recently in the US and as always, they tout the new camera. And as always, I go through my phone to see all these pictures that I've taken. And there's such an interest in preservation of the physical world, in fleeting moments of the physical world, in fleeting emotions, right? You're trying to preserve something like that. And the internet to this point has not had anything in that real same vein. It has not had a preservation device. Now there's the Wayback Machine, something like that, but you have to know what you're looking for. And the joy I think of, of looking through like my parents' old photo albums is discovering things of yourself and of the people you love that you didn't know you were looking for. And that I think is a really important power of tokenization is it's just preservation in some sense. And the idea of like all of the time I spent on stumble upon in high school and middle school, all of the people I met on Omegle as I jumped from random chat room to random chat room as a too young child doing that. Like those are memories that I wish I could recapture in more than just these really fleeting reminisces that I have. I don't have, they don't have shape. They don't have detail. They don't have the depth that if I had like a picture I could. And I think, I mean, we're still farting around here at the beginning of this blockchain thing and, and how it, I think is going to really snake its way into the internet and into digital experience. But I think people kind of miss the mark a little bit when they talk about it as a mark as a, a, I mean, it's ownership. Great. Digital ownership is one thing, but it's so interesting to just be able to preserve for your own records, the things you do online, which to this point have not been, they've just been so transient. Yeah. Preservation is really interesting. A really interesting question, particularly for a museum like like you guys because also you know the the role of museums in the past was to preserve the physical integrity of those objects but in the in a in the current or you know future context it's not about the physical presence of them it's about being able to find them in the, in the flood of information and also to be able to 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 value them in in the flood uh, in the flood of attention Interesting. Yeah. To to preserve them as like things that, that we can talk about with mutual intelligibility. (laughs) And also, and also knowing what we're, and being able to like look back at the thing and talk about it with specificity, I think is equally important, right. To be able to point to the thing and and say, okay, no, we're discussing, we're discussing this. It is not beholden to your memory of the thing or your perception of it. We have the, the common object to have between us. Well, I don't know if that's ever possible, but well, it's fair. I've spoken like a true poet, I guess. But it, but it but it it helps. But you you do need to be able to have something that you 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 know that you can volley back and forth. And yeah, it's like, that's, that's also like a, a, a issue with like um, how are we going to deal with all the fake AI AI images, you know? And like that that's not so different from how are we going to deal with all the the fake ideas or how are we, how how we can we deal with like an a, an unmanageable wash of uh of a human production or, or mints you know <laughs> it's all kind of the same question of like and the, that yeah is it, it's like i don't have an answer for you <laughs> 
Well, but but I think it, it's another reason why why tokens and blockchains make sense. It's like um, why why they why they click, um, and even if even even for somebody who who you don't have to be able to explain the technology of it to to know if it clicks or not, if it makes sense or not. Um, yeah, so like a token in that way is um, uh, something that that is able to pinpoint a particular zone of meaning and and make it uh, communicable which is the same as tradable you know so another cool thing about uh another cool thing about tokens <laughs> i uh i want to move on from tokens briefly because i want to ask you about sovereign and more specifically i want to ask you about the challenges i mean it's an audacious project because serial one of ones do not beforehand really have at least in terms of the nomenclature have kind of recognizability but theorizing building and launching any new platform in the middle of a bear market is like extremely audacious and i'm curious just like what were the challenges of having this idea at the time in which you had it and launching it at the time in which you launched it sovereign started out uh in Late 21, actually, like the first, the first sovereign drops were, what's that? am I getting that? Yeah, no, they were, they were in, um, they, they were not in the bear market actually. Uh, but, but sovereign started out just as um, Pindar and Justin doing drops for, for artists. It, it, was, it came, it came out of Pindar's BitGans and uh, Justin and Justin and Pindar started working together doing uh, col- col- the collab GANs that Pindar did. And then they had uh, a way of making their own contracts and a way of making their own uh, release dApps, uh, the drop site. And, and um, they just, they, they thought we could do this for other people. Other, other artists came to them to do it. And then um, the platform was sort of in the background until early 2022. It, it had a it had a website and and an account and whatever, but it wasn't really put forward as a a curated platform. It was just sort of a, a providing uh, contracts and providing uh, drop site. So when when I joined them, that was my like what I came on doing was looking at that and 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 thinking like we can pivot this into being a curated platform and put it put it forward and you know. Uh, uh, put forward our point of view as a means of curation and as a as a, a means of elevation. So that's when I came on and sort of like was with the revamping of the platform into uh, something that is that that is like yeah we're we're sovereign right this is a creative platform. And so like one way that we that we like are able to meet the challenges of rough market and whatever or uh the funding vcs exiting the crypto world and whatever is that we have like zero operating costs we're just three people we're just three people who who just do this and we 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 only do drops when there's something that we like and think is is a is a high quality and we 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 each work independently and you know we none of us is is ever like at that point of feeling like overextended we're doing each of us what we want to do and it meshes and and also um 
like yeah like other like platform a lot of platforms have folded because they couldn't meet operating costs they were like overextended in having giant teams like like spending too much to do marketing or whatever but i think of sovereign as i i really like we're yeah we're in that we're indie in that sense and i i think of it we're not our our way of making waves or is not like creating giant uh, hype campaigns i i think that what what we do is like remain solid we 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 remain a rock and and the the waves move around us and i you know in a, in a while it'll be like oh the look those 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 waves have washed away and that 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 fucking rock is still there it's a uh, it's a it's a great platform and, and the works speak for themselves and and the reason i think i guess that i had believed that it started in the bear market was just looking at the curated drops that you guys have done um Alec Co. Volume One and a couple of uh, Anne Spalter projects, a couple of Norman Harmon projects, uh, Mikey Woodbridge's Leighton Couture, Possibility Spaces, which we were talking about, and then Bike Gans, all of which were, I think, June 2022 at the earliest till very recently. So even if not perhaps launched in a bear market, most of this recent iteration of Sovereign seems to have been developing in what is a, a difficult market. But nevertheless, these pieces, or these collections rather, I recognize these names more than I do, not necessarily of the artists, but of the collections. Um, they generate some kind of real buzz when, when they are dropped. And I'm cur- curious, like, this is a really interesting combination of artists um, and a really different, interesting combination of various levels of, I guess, fame and notoriety. So why this combination of artists so far and like, what do you look for when you're choosing which artists are going to represent Sovereign officially? More so than an aesthetic style is uh, ethos of uh, sovereignty. <laughs> and that is a, a, the definition of that is something that is um, sort of in a way in, in intuitive, but in a way also has to do with the, the, you know, real, real, real choices that are at hand in the, in the, in the scene of like, are you uh, signing with a, a entertainment agency? Are you like joining like a artist stable? And I'm not putting, putting down people who do that, but it is just, it is a distinction. And like, to me, it's really, uh, it's important that there is a developed artistic practice behind what they're releasing it's very easy to create visuals kind of anybody can make a set of that just has a visual but like with one of the considerations with a platform is that it is it's it's elevating who whoever we put on there and this is also like a, a broader uh reason why the why the crypto art scene to me is is a a very groovy thing is because it's a way that a lot of artists who have have been working for years and years and you know struggled financially it's it's a way of making their lives sustainable so i i look for things that are representative of a, a long standing practice of a of a meaningful practice another one of our criteria which came from pindar uh, was the kind of the maxim the traits tell a story and so uh, the, the, that's another another thing that we make sure is always there, 
is that there there is a, a form of storytelling through an arc through the collection and a, a narrative substance. So so those things don't relate to the uh, aesthetic or the identity of the artists, but they those are 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 sort of the some of the guiding principles in the curation of like why those pieces. So like how careful do you have to be about you know each of these decisions to add an artist to a curated drop? You know, maybe I'm being exaggerative, but it feels like a one misstep. There's so much animosity in this space right now. I think as a consequence of people being on edge just with the general economic circumstances and people are looking for things to sink their teeth into and take a bite out of. That's just the reality. And I'm not saying that as a negative necessarily. It's just kind of how in my limited experience, these kind of markets develop, people get cutthroat when things get difficult. So in this ecosystem in which, you know, one misstep can either sink a project or probably more um, probable than that, like a mismanaged drop can extinguish momentum how careful do you have to be about each decision that you're making as like this group of three? I kind of, you know, it's funny. Like I was just thinking about this earlier of like, um, I was thinking about Matt Cain and Kevin Abosh and the way that both of them, like with Abosh as these open editions, I don't know if you've been looking at his series. Yeah. Like if you know, you know, that's one that came out yesterday i think he had a few a few in the last months that were like really like like uh uh his his one called open edition just called kevin abash open edition one called like food for dgens <laughs> and so th- throughout that he was toying with the collectors and toying with their expectations and people were like kind of on for the ride they're like all right go abash but you know because that's how they you know he's known as an artist who uses gamification and he's known as an artist who 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 uses these like social dynamics but when matt kane did the um contractual obligation collection also uh presenting something very pointedly saying i am playing or you know questioning playing with expectations collector's expectations it you know a lot of people were were pissed off well, I, I think an, an important distinction is just the investment in each of these sides, the the relatively limited investment in a Kevin Abash open edition, you know, compared to other things in the space, 0.02, 0.03 ETH versus the staggering amounts of money that people paid for for rare passes and the potential. There is that. There is that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that that's probably like, you know, it's it's not just your expectations, it's also your level of investment in the thing. So the idea of acquiring a Kevin Abaj open edition up front, you're paying money for something that you probably don't have your hopes in as being like the seed fund for a house in five years. But the news that you're going to receive a Matt Cain limited work, the hopes and you know, um, Zora Neil Hurston said, uh, ships at a distance carry every man's wish aboard. And it's like, it's that, right? You see this drop coming and it has, you know, every possible, it has every possible endpoint for you. And then to find out that it is nothing along the spectrum that you'd imagined. Um, there is that. That's very true. Uh, what was, what was the, the Zora Neil Hurston line? I didn't catch it. 
Yeah, it's the first line of um, their eyes were watching God. Um, Ships at a distance carry every man's wish aboard. Yeah, right on. Yeah, it's just a, a, a one of my, it's one of two quotes that I have memorized from literature in the 20th century, but I love that's it. Okay. I, well, I think that's one, that's one aspect, but like another part of it is like, if things that are cohesive with people's perceptions are not regarded as, as being disruptive, like, like in the way, I mean, it can, it can be a very, uh, something that is, is like, uh, upsetting or something, but if, if like the, the perception is like, this person does that kind of thing, then it's, then it's not like, then it doesn't create like the kind of animosity that you were mentioning of like, if, if we fuck, if we choose the wrong drop, if, you know, if, if people jump on us in the, in the, in the nasty crypto Twitter. So, and, and yeah, no, I will. So, so, I mean, with that, like with, with being like a, a, we really, really love being an indie platform and being sovereign and, and in the, in the, in the way also that like early crypto artists or whatever, like, like Norman Harmon and um, Max Osiris or Rob Ness or whatever, like do shit that just like pisses people off or, or, you know, it's just like they, they'll, they'll fucking say anything, you know, but it's like, they're still around because that's who they are, you know? And it's like the same, another person could say the same things and they would be like, like, killed you know or whatever because it would be inconsistent with who with the who how they're perceived or or how they put themselves forward so it's like well it's the andy kaufman paradigm right it's like if andy kaufman if you're going to see him as a comedian and again just to keep it within matt kane's kind of like universe you go see him as a comedian and he ends up reading the great gatsby which he was known to do you're frustrated and upset but if you're aware of andy kaufman as the performer and you go understanding that weird, boring, strange, confrontational stuff is a possible outcome going into it, then when you receive that outcome, it, you don't have nearly as much of a, a reaction. But maybe that's a failure as well, um, because it's a lot of power in Matt's hands to evoke that reaction because it was such a pivot, because it's unexpected. I mean, you can only do that once um, in an artistic career. Matt can never make that kind of statement suddenly again in the same way yes, yeah. um, and that's you know it's a power you get to express once to, yeah to make something that's about breaking expectation i suppose yeah but like for us for, for sovereign though for instance like what what i mean is for for sovereign is that like being an indie platform gives us like leeway i think to do stuff that maybe does piss people off but it's it's like the fact that we're an indie crypto art platform and it's like who who we are so it's not it's not inconsistent with what we're what we're proposing you know like it's that's what we're saying like we are are just gonna be like a rogue indie platform like we don't have the answer to any any investor or any like whatever it's like so you know in that in that way i feel we have the freedom to uh to to choose like who 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 we what we think is like high quality yeah i mean it's you know it's in the same way that we were talking about you know the ability to tokenize kind of abstract concepts like the representation 
of sovereign in these drops is itself a kind of like many tokened expression of your ethos. And just as like the aesthetics are less important than everything else, I guess it makes sense that, like I said, like a misstep or quote unquote misstep or a mismanaged something or other somewhere down the line. Well, like if the ethos is strong and if the works have been, um, you know, dropped with intention and integrity, like that's what gets imbued into the token even more than what's actually what, what you're actually seeing there. Well, what do you mean would be like, what do you mean if a misstep? Like, or just a really bad collection? <laughs> or like, what? All I know is that the platforms of note, call it super rare, call it open sea, blur is a shit show. But, you know, when known origin, it was known origin that got bought by eBay, right? Like, it just, there, there are these, whether it's rare pass, whether it's open sea getting rid of the creator royalties or known origin getting bought out, like, there are these events that, decisions that are made best of intentions aside that spark vitriol um, and are going to spark reactions that may endanger the platform itself. Um, So when I say missteps, I don't mean that like you're going to put out like, you know, a shitty artist or a a shitty drop. I just mean that like, uh, I guess maybe I do mean that. I mean, you, you know, you make the wrong kind of connection with somebody who turns out to not be what they said they were or, you know, there's this record that you had this partnership with somebody who was doing unsavory things or was engaged in some kind of unsavory practice. And it re- reflects on the platform, even if it's not necessarily your fault. So an open-ended question, indeed. That's interesting because it's like, it's often, it's often not possible to do like super due diligence on people who are anon or there's not a ton of information about a lot of people in the crypto, <laughs> they're pseudonymous, but so so yeah, I don't know. And I mean I'm thinking of like what went down with the three that three dude and like shit like I don't know what yeah, what would I do in those shoes? One one thing is that like I can there's you know, people get people have a stake in where big amounts of resources are going and in like like in that in that sense like big chunks of territory in the the landscape of resources. And the platforms that that uh, are are built on a lot of um, uh, upfront funding or VC funding or something are you know big chunks of that of that uh, of of land in that way, and and we are uh, three people who release uh, art projects, and you know in in that that in that way too it's like we're 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 only representatives of ourselves you know i guess it's like there's some more there's some freedom in that i i i think we think a ton about like like um if the collections we're putting out can sell and you know <laughs> that and that that's not just because we like to sell stuff it's like we think this also, but it, but it's also because it's it's it always um, bears on the next person who's going to drop with us, if if our last how how our last drop did, and making sure that there's like a a clear clearly communicable <clears throat> aspects of the collection and that it, that it can hit, is important, and like so so far we we have have men we have sold them all out, which is like I don't know they're not like there's a million of them, but I'm kind of. Proud of the fact that it, it, it we we have done it and like 
every, every time I, I think like, is this the one that's going to just kill us? You know, like, <laughs> sure. I, I think the question that you're mentioning, like every single time, and it's like always crossing the threshold of like a, a thing that's just an idea into a thing that's a reality. And it is always a terrifying threshold. But our method, we just, we throw ourselves into that, <laughs> into that. Yeah. Uh, well, as, as often happens, the, uh, best possible name for the podcast comes about in like the very last couple of minutes. So um, maybe that'll do it for the terrifying threshold featuring Ezra Shibboleth. Oh, right on. That's that's pretty good. You should write a poem with that name. I'm sure T.S. Eliot already has. It sounds like one of his. Um, So let's, uh, let's get out of here before we uh, take up too much of the people's time. Ezra, um, why don't you take a moment and tell the people anything you like, what you have going on, where to reach you. Anything you want them to know, your floor is yours. We we do have a, a really cool uh, drop uh, coming on Sovereign. the The next one is by MLO, the the cloud the cloud artist. You know that guy, Art. And like, I I really am am pretty stoked for that. Oh yeah, there's a little cloud. <laughs> I've I've look, been looking at his previews; they're just absolutely gorgeous, and it's a reflection on his last five years of making cloud art that he that he yeah began to do f- five years ago with with one of the pieces that's in the mocha a uh, permanent collection was one of his first uh his first cloud artwork so that's kind of the beginning point and this is like uh a really very just carefully beautifully constructed review of those five years so maybe that's a good ending point that that'll be in late uh, in a couple weeks in um awesome october uh, one one more thing that's cool, <laughs> Mikey Woodbridge, who who uh, did a latent couture with us, and is also my partner, by the way, has a if you're in Berlin, has a really groovy show where the whole latent couture collection is in this one um, art 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 center called Kindle Contemporary Art Center, and it'll be there for for five months. And um, if you are in town, I will go there with you. <laughs> so. Yeah, there's a lot of people listening to this podcast, Ezra. Might not want to. Uh... I don't know. Unless you're a creep, then I'm not going. <laughs> Reach out to me at Cohen the Writer, and I'll figure out if you're a creep, and then I'll send you along to Ezra. Yeah. Um, well, thank you, Ezra, for for being here with us. And, and I mean, this was a really wonderful, wide ranging conversation, just as I hoped and 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 wish for. If you are listening to this, please. Uh, follow and subscribe to the podcast wherever you're hearing it, whether that's Spotify or Apple. We have new podcasts. They drop every Friday. This will be up on Friday. We have new podcasts dropping every Tuesday. That's current events. We have a Substack, museumofcryptoart.substack.com. And we'd like to see you in all of these places. And we'd like to just see more of you. So don't be afraid to hit us up. Don't be afraid to listen to us do our thing. We're really appreciative of you being here. We're really appreciative of you being here, Ezra. So thank you so much. And Yeah, let's do this again sometime. Right on. Good to talk to you. Likewise. All right. Thank you very much, everyone. Have a lovely rest of your day. This podcast was edited and produced by me, Max Cohen. A big thanks to our guest, Ezra Shibboleth. A big thanks to Julian Brangold for composing our intro music. And another big thanks to Dayfox for our cold open theme. And most importantly, thank you all very much for being here. We will see you next time on the Mocha Live podcast.